There are, of course, many things that could be said about the coronavirus pandemic and the challenge that it presents the entire world, um, our nation, communities, families, and more. I've been thinking this week about how this season of crisis could be described as an adult learning moment. I would imagine that all of us know what an adult learning moment is. The idea is that we learn best when we really have to, especially in moments of challenge and opportunity. Let's say that you decide you want to parachute out of an airplane. You've never done it before. Before you get on the plane while you're still on the ground, you have a session with the instructor and she briefs you on what you need to know to jump successfully. And then a few minutes later, you're in a plane 14,000 feet above the ground with a parachute strapped on you and that big door is opened and the wind is blowing ferociously and the engines are roaring and the instructor shouts a few final instructions to you over all the noise. She shouts, remember, the most important thing is that is an adult learning moment. Those last minute, the most important thing you need to know instructions will be listened to and heeded. You will not forget in that moment what you're told. You know that it's necessary for your success or survival. It's the most important thing in that moment. I want to talk to you this morning in this crazy, frightening moment about the most important thing that I can possibly say. And I'm hoping that you'll hear me and take action in spite of the uproar and distraction that's all around us. I want us to use this moment to focus on what is of primary importance. Now, there are a lot of important things to say. You know, wash your hands frequently and do it for at least 20 seconds. That's an important thing to say. But I want to talk about what is of primary importance. And what is that? Let me say it like this. The secret of life, not just survival, but of life itself in every moment, including this one, is to be connected to the source of life. This is true always, and it's especially important that we don't lose focus on what is of primary importance in a moment like this. The secret of life itself is to be connected to the source of life. Jesus used a terrible crisis moment to give final instructions to his disciples about the most important things they needed to know. He did this the night before he was crucified at the Last Supper and then on his way from there to the Garden of Gethsemane. He taught them for hours. It's as if he was saying, I'm about to die and this is what I need you to focus on. Don't forget these things. The Gospel of John is 21 chapters long. Five of those precious chapters are given to the words Jesus spoke on the night before he was crucified. One of his main points is a well-known one. It's where he, he offers a truth in the form of metaphor. Here's part of it, John chapter 15, verse 4. Jesus, just before he's about to die, says to his disciples, Remain in me as I also remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit for its, by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So think of fruit as all that is good and beautiful in your life. To bear fruit is to produce good things. To not bear fruit is to be empty and unproductive. Good fruit shows up in our life in a variety of ways. It, it shows up in our personal lives as faith and joy and peace and meaning. Good fruit shows up in our relational lives as love and consequential connection. Good fruit is manifest through serving others and doing good in this world and building successful businesses and creating financial freedom and so on. Jesus said later in this talk, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. It is important to Jesus that we produce good fruit in every domain of our lives and live lives of health and significance and purpose. But his point in this particular teaching was this, that you don't produce fruit by focusing on fruit you produce fruit by focusing on Jesus. I mean, it's impossible to overstate the importance of this point. It seems so simple that it's possible to miss how profound it really is. You don't produce good things in your life because that's your primary focus. You produce good things in your life because you focus on the source of everything good and beautiful in this life. The secret is for the branches, us, to be connected to the vine, him. He said, if you remain in me, you will produce a lot of good fruit, but apart from me, you can't do anything. This, as he headed to the cross, was an adult learning moment. In that pregnant moment of fear and concern, he said, do not lose your focus on me. Everything you need for life is in me. See, Jesus described himself, he's described in the Gospels, and he described himself as the source of life. He described himself as the way, the truth, the life. When John was introducing Jesus to the world in his Gospel, in John chapter 1, verse 4, he said, in him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the fruit of all mankind. The life he's describing is life as a principle, life in the absolute sense, life as God has it. And John said that in Jesus was life itself, and then Jesus promised that life to us. In our theme passage here at TLCC, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I came to give life, life in all of its fullness real and eternal life, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. So here's my point, at least at the starting place of this talk today. 
in this pregnant moment of pandemic and world crisis, we must not lose our focus on Jesus. He is the source of everything we need to have life in all of its fullness. If, if we are connected to Him, we will have hope, not despair. We will have faith, not fear. We will have love, not hate. We will have wisdom to know what to do and what not to do. We will meet every challenge successfully. We'll be productive even in a time of turmoil. We'll have financial peace even in the midst of economic disruption. If we stay connected to Jesus, I promise you, if we stay connected to Jesus, we're going to be okay. And we're not just going to be okay, we're going to be more than okay. Because Jesus promised us life in all of its fullness. More and better life than we ever dreamed of. So, we're rightly concerned about the coronavirus and its effects. We are rightly concerned about our loved ones. We are rightfully concerned about the economy and our personal finances. But these things are not our primary focus. Our primary focus now and always is our relationship with Jesus Christ. In Him is life and all the good things, the fruit that come with it. So, in recent weeks we've been discussing how to connect with Jesus. Now, I want to start to get practical here. I'll get practical for a little bit and then impractical for a little bit and then I'll close practical again, okay? But we've been, I don't just want to tell you that, that the secret is to be connected to Jesus, source, the source of life. We've actually been teaching about how to be connected, to stay connected to Jesus. How to, if you please, be a branch that's connected to the vine so that life is flowing through us and all the good fruit that comes from it. Uh, so, So we've been discussing how that spiritual disciplines help us connect to Jesus and the life he promised. Okay? Spiritual disciplines help us connect to Jesus and the life he promised. There was a study that was done several years ago in 200 churches, and it involved some 80,000 Christ followers. And it was a study about what helps people grow in their lives with God? What helps people grow spiritually? Greg Hawkins, in his report on this study called Follow Me, wrote, we recently conducted new research. We heard from 80,000 people, more than 200 churches. When we asked, what's the most important thing you want from your church? One of the top answers was, challenge me to grow and take the next step in my spiritual life. That's exactly what we're doing in this series. We're challenging you to grow, to take the next step in your spiritual life, to grow in your life with God. They also wrote, we ask everyone taking our most recent survey if there was ever a time in their spiritual journey when they were stalled. Virtually every respondent said yes. We then asked them what happened to get them unstalled. The overwhelming majority said they became unstalled by re-engaging in personal spiritual practices. So whether you call it spiritual practices or you use the more technical term spiritual disciplines or whether you want to call them spiritual habits, this is the thing that helps people grow and it helps people when they get kind of stalled in their life with God to get unstalled. 
It's impossible to overemphasize how important good spiritual practices are. We've been talking about these disciplines and, and, and making the point that spiritual disciplines or practices are either things we abstain from or engage in in order to fully focus our attention on our relationship with God. So there are disciplines of abstinence. And if you'd like to follow along in your life notes, you can. They were handed to you as you walked in today. And also, as you're watching online, you'll see a button there that you can press and you can follow along just as well as the beautiful people who are in this room, okay? So disciplines of abstinence include uh, what we talked about two weeks ago, fasting, solitude, silence, what was taught about last week, simplicity, sacrifice, and then there are disciplines of engagement. Disciplines of engagement include study, worship, prayer, service, fellowship, confession, giving. I've taught many times um, that spiritual disciplines are means of grace. This term, means of grace, isn't something that I made up. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a term that's important to, uh, to good theology. It's a, it's a technical term that's used to, to describe things that we do in alignment with the teachings of Scripture that allow God to show us grace in some way that He couldn't show us otherwise. Remember, grace by definition is unmerited favor. We do not earn grace from God. But, when we practice a spiritual discipline, we get in a place that allows God to do good things to us, good things that He already wants to do, but needs us to pay attention to Him long enough for Him to actually be able to do them, right? So let's take the spiritual discipline of prayer, for instance, which, by God's grace, I intend to begin teaching about next week. Let's, but let's talk about how is prayer, for instance, a spiritual discipline that's a means of grace? Well, Let's say it simply. God wants to answer prayer, but he won't answer unprayed prayers. So even though he knows what we want, even before we ask him, he tells us to ask him. And when we ask him for good things through prayer, he can then grace us with an answer. It doesn't mean we deserve the things that he does for us, but the spiritual discipline put us in a place where he can actually do the good things he wants to do for us that we don't deserve, but he does for us through grace. So a spiritual practice is a means of grace, something God uses to do something in our life that he already wants to do, but he can't do because we're so busy and distracted and life is so noisy that it's like he's up there saying, I want to do things, I want to produce good fruit for you, but you have to stop and pay attention to me so that I can do this thing that I already want to do. The practice of prayer is a means of grace. Richard Foster, who I will reference a good bit when I talk about spiritual disciplines, wrote a classic called Celebration of Discipline. I highly recommend, almost beg you to read it. He wrote this classic called Celebration of Discipline in another companion volume later called Life with God, and he's done a lot of work around this. But Foster wrote about how that spiritual disciplines help us practice the principle of indirection. The principle of indirection. I'll quote him now. He writes, A spiritual discipline is an intentionally directed action by which we do what we can do 
in order to receive from God the ability or power to do what we cannot do by direct effort. I know that sounds kind of complicated, but, but let me make it very simple. Spiritual disciplines connect us to the vine. And when we get connected to the vine, there's a life flow happening through us that produces all kinds of things. But we, the fruit is not what we focus on. So, so back to, to, to another way that I will frequently say this. Let's say that I, I want to become a better person. Let's say that part of that is I know I need to do a better job at, um, at feeling and expressing and acting in loving ways. So I need to grow in love. So what do I do? Do I focus on love? Well, I, I should to some extent. I should read books about love, and I should go to a seminar and learn about love, and I should go back in the archives on tlcc.org and listen to the pastor teach about love. I should, I should focus on love, but that shouldn't be my primary focus. Because Scripture tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, etc., the point being, though I focus on love, my primary focus is on my relationship with Jesus because when I focus on my relationship with Jesus, his spirit works through me and produces love that's beyond my human capacity to feel, express, or act in. Do you understand? That's why I say the primary focus, the primary thing always is focus on Jesus. Be connected to the vine. Then, all of a sudden, through indirect effort, the thing you directly want begins to happen in your life. Listen, guys, sometimes, though, our, our effort to produce good fruit actually disconnects us from the vine. We're focused on the wrong thing at least as a primary focus. We focus on being a better person. We focus on building our family and finances and business and so on. These are all good things, but the most important thing is to focus on the vine and to make sure that all the other things we're doing aren't keeping us from that primary, important, most fundamental thing. Think about whatever you need in your life. What do you need in your personal life? What characteristic, what, 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 what uh, manifestation of emotional intelligence, uh, relational intelligence. Th think about whatever it is that you need in your life. Think about what you need to happen in your business, your finances. Think about whatever you need. I challenge you. Get up every day and do things that will help you know Jesus more and then watch those things begin to happen in your life. It's the primary thing. It doesn't mean we ignore the other things. We work hard at all that other stuff. But we make sure it doesn't take us away from the primary source. I think you get the point. So if you're sitting on the couch watching at home, wake up the person sitting beside you. And I'm going to move into another thought, which is I want to get into a practical focus today on the spiritual discipline of study. The spiritual discipline of study. So, and I think, I think that I'll make this interesting. But give me a moment. I'm not going to promise it immediately. Give me a moment. There'll be a payoff, I hope. 
In week one of this series, we focused on fasting. Fasting is the voluntary abstaining from something normal and good like food for the sake of focused spiritual activity. Hundreds of you made a commitment as we launched our Lenten series to practice fasting during this Lenten season in order to help prepare your heart for all Jesus came to do and which we celebrate on Good Friday and Easter. I hope that you are growing in your knowing of Jesus as you're practicing this discipline of abstinence, fasting. Uh, in week two, we focused on simplicity. Christian did an absolutely marvelous job last week teaching about the discipline, the spiritual discipline of simplicity. The, the discipline of simplicity is the radical reorganization of everything in our lives in a way that helps us have a total focus on God and his purposes. So today, I want to talk about a discipline of engagement. It's the discipline of study. I particularly want to focus on the study of Scripture and how it helps us know Jesus more. The survey I referred to earlier, uh, 80,000 Christ followers responding to what helped them grow spiritually. Here's part of what the authors of the study wrote. Everywhere we turn, the data revealed the same truth. Spending time in the Bible is hands down the highest impact personal spiritual practice. More specifically... Someone saying, I reflect on the meaning of Scripture in my life is the spiritual practice that's most predictive of growth. So, let's define in technical terms first the spiritual discipline of study. I, I uh, got this from a wonderful study resource, by the way, that's recommended at the bottom of your life notes. Uh, it's called the Renovere Study Bible. And this is in the back. They, they have a whole section on spiritual disciplines. Uh, here's what is written about the discipline of study. The spiritual discipline of study is the intentional process of engaging the mind with the written and spoken word of God and the world God has created in such a way that the mind takes on an order conforming to the order upon which it concentrates. Now, you'd have to study that for a while to get it. It's hard to get the first time you read it, but let me unpack it just a little bit. When we study God's Word and God's world, it orders our minds in a way that influences every part of our lives, how we think, how we feel, how we see the world, how we understand relationships, how we view significance, and so on. Then, all of this influences what we actually do, how we live every day. Again, I quote from Foster in The Celebration of Discipline, where he writes, Study is a specific kind of experience in which, through careful observation, we cause thought processes to move in a certain way. Perhaps we study a book, we see it, feel it. As we do, our thought processes take on an order conforming to the order in the book. When done with concentration, perception, and repetition, ingrained habits of thought are formed. Habits of thought that are formed will conform to the order of the thing being studied. What we study determines what kind of habits are to be formed. So when we study a thing, our mind is ordered according to what we study, 
And then everything in our life is influenced by that. Now, there are many good things to study. I study broadly a wide variety of disciplines. I love to read almost anything. You know that. Uh, You probably, sadly, hear me read large large portions of books to you every week from a variety of places, right? Uh, All truth is God's truth. But, When we study Scripture, we're actually studying God's Word. And this is a powerful means of grace. This is God's self-revelation. This is God telling us what He wants us to know about Himself and the world and how we're to grow in our lives with Him. This is His story. And so as we study Scripture, it actually allows God to speak into our lives and to transform us. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and said, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Our understanding is is that though God used human beings to actually put pen to scroll and write down words. God was breathing on those human beings. And therefore, the Word of God, the Bibles that we have are inspired. They are the inspired Word of God. It's God telling us what He wants us to know about Himself. And it becomes the basis of all knowing of everything in the world from God's perspective. Now, let me make a clear point here. Study is more than reading. I'm not talking today about reading Scripture. As wonderful as that is, I'm talking about going a step beyond. I'm talking about studying Scripture, which all of us can do. I'm going to help you know how here in a few moments. It is Study is engaging in Scripture to the extent that it gets in us. It instructs us. It orders our minds. It changes our lives. There's this amazing story right in the middle of the revelation at the end of the new testament john uh the beloved john the divine uh, john was on patmos praying on a sunday morning he said he was in the spirit and all of a sudden he has a revelation of jesus and uh then in this revelation of jesus he begins getting all of these visions that that ultimately tell the story of God's ultimate triumph over evil in the world. And man, does he ever, he gets all these these visions, and right in the middle of all these visions, right in the middle of the revelation, um, John gets a vision of a huge angel. My daughter Summer, when she was younger, would have called it a enormous angel. This angel is so big, John said it was like his legs were like pillars. And he said one of, one of his feet was in the ocean and another foot was on land. It was as if this huge angel was straddling the entire world. And in his hand, he had a book. It's called a scroll. But the, but the Greek word translated scroll there is the word biblia, which, which means book. He had the book in his hand. And this, this angel is preaching a sermon with thunderous effect. I mean, the whole world is shaking with the sound of this angel preaching from the book. And clearly, it's, it's God's inspired word, at least to that time. It's very evident in the passage. He is preaching from Scripture. And God tells John to go take the book 
out of the hand of the angel. And here's what John said. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. However large the scroll was, it looked small in the hand of this giant angel. And the angel said to me, John said, take it and eat. It will be bitter to your stomach, but sweet as honey to your mouth. So John said, I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. I mean, it's a fascinating story. I mean, the, 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 the thing I really want to tell you is quite simple from that story. It's this, eat the book. Point made? Eat the book. He said that it tasted sweet in his mouth, but bitter in his stomach. I think sometimes when we just taste Scripture, pick and choose, grab the things that inspire us, sometimes it tastes sweet to our mouth. But when we really get it in us, sometimes the fact is, in order for it to change it, it's somewhat bitter. Because we see what God says as opposed to what we say. We see what God does as opposed to what we do. And our minds start becoming ordered to the thing that we're studying. And all of a sudden, our entire life begins to be impacted. Now, what we end up getting out of that is we end up getting life in all its fullness. So it all turns out good. But you can't just... Taste a little bit. You should taste it. But don't just taste it. Eat it. Get God's word in you. So, a little digression, and then I'm going to come back and close with something practical, okay? I want to make sure that we track with what we've been saying the last few weeks, and I want to touch base with this point again. I want to show how this works with what we're discussing today about study. We've been talking about how that we can learn to grow in our relationship with Jesus, by looking at how Jesus grew in relationship with the Father and was empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'll say it again. I know some of you are taking notes, and I should pause for a moment. We can learn. We, let me emphasize this word. We can learn to grow in our relationship with Jesus by looking at how Jesus grew in relationship with the Father and was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's the point I've been making, that because Jesus chose to function as a human being when he was on this planet, he needed, key word, he needed to grow as a person and his, in his relationship with Jesus. And he did grow, and he showed us how to grow in relationship with him. So, Jesus was, is 100% God and 100% man. When he came to earth, though, he chose to live as a man and to not take advantage of his divinity. I described that in very technical terms a couple of weeks ago. If you're interested in being bored by a long explanation of that, you can go back and watch my message from two weeks ago. But today I'll simply remind you what the Apostle Paul said to, when he wrote to the Philippians. He said, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. This is describing the incarnation, God becoming man. 
God showing up on this planet. He decided, though he was God, to not take advantage of his godness while he was on this planet, but to live as a human being who had to depend on his connection to the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill his mission in this world. He wanted to show us how a human being could be so connected to God that he, well, talk about producing good fruit. Well, we know that Jesus had to grow, right? Luke chapter 2, verse 40 tells us that when Jesus was a child, he grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was in him. And then we're told later in the same chapter, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The message has it like this, Jesus matured, growing up in both body and spirit, blessed by both God and people. I hope you get my point. Jesus had to grow up, both in body and spirit. All right? Now, how did he grow up in both body and spirit? Well, in body, I won't get into that, but in spirit, the fact is, he practiced what we now would call spiritual disciplines in order to grow in relationship with God and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he did it because he needed to. He practiced solitude because he needed to be alone with the Father. He prayed because he needed to pray. And he studied because he needed to have his mind ordered by the Word of God. So, if you follow then in Luke chapter 2 and you're interested, this would be a great portion of Scripture to study this week, actually, if you'd like. If you look at Luke chapter 2, there are a few comments about how Jesus grew, and you have to think about it like this. Jesus spent 30 years preparing for his entrance on the world stage, and his time on the world stage, at least in physical history, only lasted about three or three and a half years. But when he showed up, he had 30 years of preparation behind him, and he had grown in favor with God, and he had grown in spirit until finally he gets introduced to the world by his baptism. Luke chapter 3, I'm going to risk reading a somewhat lengthy passage of Scripture and commenting on it, and then remember I'm getting to the practical part, but I want to show you how Jesus demonstrates the things we're talking about, about how to be connected to the Father. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. This is, to this point, we've heard very little about Jesus. Heard about his birth. We kind of, one story about when he was about 12 years old. We just know he'd been growing. 30 years, 30 years, he's getting ready for this moment. As he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. You have to imagine now, 30 years, Jesus has been preparing for this moment, He's standing there wet in the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan River. He's praying, and now all of God, if you please, which probably isn't exactly the right way to say this, let's say it like this. He hears the voice of the Father come from heaven and say, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descends on him. And now Jesus is ready, if you please, to rock and roll. But before he's able to go do what he came to do, he has to go into the wilderness. And here's what we're told. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, 
Jesus, full of the Holy, he's the man, he's God and he's man, but he's, he's if you please, living with one hand tied behind his back, he's choosing not to, to, to take advantage of his godness. Now the Holy Spirit is coming and the Holy Spirit is coming to lead him and the, and the Father is saying, you're in me and I'm in you. All right, anyway, I digress. Jesus now, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Where, how is Jesus being led, guys? He's being led by the Spirit. How are we supposed to be led? By the Spirit. I think you get my point. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus, hungry and weak and looking at the bread as any human being would and saying, can I have some butter with that? Instead says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. What does he do in that moment of crisis? He quotes from Scripture. How did he know that Scripture? Because he'd studied. Now listen, guys. Yes, he could have tapped into his advantage as God and recited something he had actually inspired someone to read, to write, but instead he pulls out of the reservoir of his knowledge of Scripture in that crisis moment of his life, and he says it is written. Why are you saying that to me, Pastor? Well, I'm saying that for a lot of reasons, but I'm saying you, in the crisis of this moment, in the challenges of your life, you are not alone. The Father is looking at you saying, you are my child, I am pleased at you. The Holy Spirit is coming to empower you and you can practice spiritual disciplines so you can use God's word to speak into the realities of your life it is written you know some of us boy I'm getting sidetracked here but some of us right now you know read the newspaper and and, and, and out of the reservoir of this book that we've eaten need to come words like fear not I am with you Right? Out of the reservoir of this book that you've eaten, you need to hear, you, 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 you need to stand there and say, I will be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, I will make my request known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep my heart and mind through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Whatever things are good, whatever things are true, whatever things are beautiful, I am going to focus on those things. Where is that coming from, Pastor? The same place it came from in Jesus. That comes from years of eating the book. So when I look at life, I'm not just looking at life like most people are. I'm looking at life with a mind that has been ordered by the Word of God. I see differently. I think differently. I act differently. Good fruit is produced through my life because I'm connected to the vine through His Word. And you know the rest of the story. You know that the other temptations that Satan brought to Jesus, to everyone, he calls on the Scripture that he has ingested and he speaks it. And then we're told in Luke chapter, uh, 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 I don't know what chapter I'm in now. Anyway, I'm going to pick it up on verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The temptation's over. He returns to Galilee How? 
In the power of the Spirit. What does that have to do with you? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He's living, showing us how to live. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. So he goes to the place where he'd gone to church every Saturday, if you please, his entire life. He goes to Nazareth, his home church. And somebody hands him a scroll, Scripture, and, and, and he found the place where it was written. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. And then he begins to read about from Isaiah 61, a prophecy about himself. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So he's standing there holding his, that scroll. Do you think that's the first time he'd held that scroll? This was his local church. This was the synagogue where he'd been brought up. He knew how to find the scripture in that scroll because he'd studied. You get my point? He'd studied it. All right, let me close with this. How to eat the book. How to eat the book. The first thing is to read slowly. This is the very practical part and close of this and what I want to send you out with. I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to do the benediction. How to eat the book. First of all, read slowly. As opposed, listen, when it comes to study, the idea isn't how many pages can you read at a time. It's not a speed read. It is a comprehension thing. And there, there are a lot of folks who, who try to read through the Bible every year, and that's great. So have I. I'm all for that. But that's different than what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about reading slowly where what I will do is sometimes I will read an overview maybe if I want to read if I want to study let's say Luke 2 3 and 4 maybe I'll do a relatively quick read over a couple of days of the whole gospel of Luke it actually doesn't take that long and then I go back and maybe I'll spend a week or two or three just reading Luke chapter 2 Luke chapter 3 Luke chapter 4 reading it slowly looking at every word and so on and so forth here's the second thing contextualize Make sure that you have some understanding of the context of what you are reading. Who is writing this? Who is this being written to? Why? What is going on at this time in history? What was the culture like in that time and place? What is the issue being addressed? And so on. Ask questions of the text. And you can do this in a simple way without getting caught up in obscure details. In fact, I strongly encourage you. I'm talking, when I'm talking about studying here in, in this light, I'm talking about studying to know God, not to gain information. And so, so if you want to get caught up in obscure details, you can go to seminary and you can dig in. And if you want to do what I'm doing, you should go get caught up in all that. But, but that's, I'm talking now just about pure spiritual growth. So, so you're, you're, you're gaining just enough context to make sure you have some sense of what's actually going on in the text. Find a few simple resources to help you. At the bottom of your life notes, I've included four or five simple resources that will help you be able to get the context of what you're reading in just a few minutes. You don't have to spend an hour around that. If you go to read 1 Corinthians, you can look at the Renovere Study Bible and before Corinthians, 
Corinthians, there's one page, one simple page that gives you a sense, enough of a sense of what's going on in 1 Corinthians that when you're reading and studying an actual text, you have some idea of what's going on. So I encourage you, find a well-written study Bible, a good Bible dictionary, a one-volume commentary, or an accessible commentary on the book that you're focused on. And again, I've listed some resources for you, and most of these, if not all of them, can be found online. Third, meditate. Christ-centered meditation is focused thought on God, His world, His word, and His word to us. Here's, here's the bottom line here. When you read to grow in your relationship with God or practice the discipline of study, you have to ask then, so I'm reading slowly, I have some sense of the context, now you ask, what is this saying to me? And you meditate on it. You meditate on it. Richard Foster writes about uh, meditation as prayerful rumination upon God, His Word, His world. To ruminate means to deep thinkly or to 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 deep to think deeply or to chew on something. So now you've got the scripture. You're going to chew on it. What are you trying to do? You're trying to eat the book, right? So you're chewing on it. Uh, Psalm one one says, "Blessed is the one." whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law or on scripture day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prosper. Again, I come back to the beginning of this message. If this is your primary focus, everything else in your life will prosper in ways beyond your ability. So meditate on his word Meditate on his word and watch good fruit come in your life and watch what it looks like to prosper in every area of your life. Fourth, pray. Now, talk to God about what you've read. If appropriate, pray it back to him. So how would I pray, for instance, the passage I just read? You can pray almost any scripture. Psalm 1-1, you're praying back God's word. You're praying back God's word to him. This is powerful. So you look at Psalm 1-1 and you say, Lord, put the passage back up if you would behind me so everybody can see it. You're going back and you're looking at this and you're saying, uh, you read, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. You say, Father, in the name of Jesus, help me to be a blessed person. Teach me how to meditate on your word day and night. Help me to be like a tree planted by rivers of water. And you think about that. Imagine in your mind. Meditate on what does it look like for a tree to be planted in rivers of water that's full of good fruit. And you're thinking, that's God, that's what I want to be like. Help me. I need to grow in love. I need to grow in joy. I need to grow in peace. I pray now that through the Holy Spirit in me that you will produce these things in ways that are beyond my ability to do it. See, now you're praying God's Word. And then you say, Lord, I'm not totally sure what it means that everything in my life will prosper. I know that doesn't mean that I won't have difficult times, and I know that doesn't mean that I'm going to have a Rolls Royce next week. I don't care about that anyway. I just, whatever, whatever it means to prosper for you, help me, Lord, to prosper like that. Help me. Okay? You pray God's Word. And then, fifth, you obey. What is God, was it something bitter in it? What is God saying to you through his word? Let it inform how you think, feel, speak, treat other people, do business, live. Guys, you can connect to the very source of life. Finally, finally, a final word. 
Remember, don't study to learn about God. Study to know God. I've studied many people who I don't know. I know a lot about them, but I do not know them. The point of spiritual disciplines is to grow in knowing Jesus. You are not looking for information. It's not about how smart you are about Scripture. Truth is, who cares? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have said it that way, but help me to be more loving, Lord. That's not the point. You are not looking for information. You're looking for a relationship with a person as you study, pray to know him more. Now, please note on your connection card, the next step this week is this week, I will spend time studying scripture to know God better. So those of you at home, I hope that you'll take that connection card and you will address it and you'll check that box that says, I'm, this week I'm going to study to know God more and send it to us if you would, just like you would on a regular Sunday if you were here in this room. Those of you in this room, take the connection card, drop it in a connections drop box. How do I know if I'm doing a good job teaching today? It's if you actually take what I'm teaching and apply it to your life. That's how I know if I'm doing a good job teaching today and we're all going to see the fruit of it. Hey, hey, if you're not able to go to your physical place of work this week, what a good excuse to study God's Scripture more. I challenge you to study Scripture more this week than you ever have in your life. And watch what happens when you eat the book.